The reason I go to Davos, and I've been going every year since 2007, is that in my experience, it's a pretty unique gathering. I haven't been to anywhere else where you get government representatives, business leaders, NGOs, and assorted others, uh, perhaps academics, uh, media, all in such a space, all willing to exchange ideas and views over such a concentrated period of time. There may be other situations like that that exist in the world, but I haven't seen any. So it's the reason why I and others keep going back year after year. My key takeaways from Davos this year would probably fall into the political and you can't have an event like Davos and have President Trump present without him casting quite a shadow or, or halo, depending on your view of the world, over it. I mean, I think it's interesting that this is the second time President Trump has been to Davos. His predecessor, Barack Obama, who you might think would be more in tune with the sentiments and views of the Davos crowd, never attended. And Trump was there to talk about how successful he'd been in terms of driving the US economy forward, to make sure the world knew about the phase one trade deal that had been put in place between China and the US, which I think for the rest of the world is actually a great relief because that was probably the biggest drag in terms of global growth prospects for 2020. And he, um, he was there holding court, seeing a whole series of senior executives who all wanted to catch his ear. So there's the political element to Davos, and that's, that's a really interesting point. But you can't get away from the fact that the main theme this year was around stakeholder capitalism and climate change. Those were the things that were being discussed in most sessions, and even if you went to a session where that wasn't the headline item, somehow it crept in there. I really think that this idea of companies being accountable to a wider group than just their shareholders is an idea whose time has come. Now, arguably, stakeholder capitalism has been around for quite a long time, but it's never been embraced in the same way as it appears to be being embraced today. And climate change? Well, I think I think the scientific data is, is pretty clear now. I would say that most of the people that I talk to in the business community have got past the question of, do we need to do something, and are very much into the, well, how do we do it? And quite a lot of Davos this year was, well, how do we do it, and over what time frame? And I think it's that time frame question that we're probably going to spend quite a lot of this next decade focusing on. Because although we talk about 2030, actually, that means that we start work now to achieve 2030. It doesn't mean we hang around till 2027 and then sprint for the line. And businesses are putting transition plans in place now. In the UK, for those of you who are in the UK, we've got COP26, uh, which is going to be held in Glasgow in November. And that's going to be the big event in what is regarded as a super year for the whole climate uh, and sustainability sector uh, to 
make sure that countries are committed to doing what they need to do to achieve the targets because it's all very well a country like the UK saying that it's going to put a plan in action but I was just looking at some figures that were also present at Davos that said the UK is responsible for approximately 1% of total CO2 emissions globally. China is responsible for 29%. I mean, this has to be a global effort. We all need to work on this together. I was very encouraged that just before Davos, one of their briefings came out which described the accountancy profession as climate heroes. Now, apart from the fact that they missed the prefix chartered off the accountant bit, um, the, the point that they were making is that for us to go about this in a planned and an orderly way, we need base data. And lots of that base data is going to come from those sort of activities that chartered accountants do better than anyone else. Measuring, reporting, and then importantly, assuring or auditing those numbers. Because we want to make sure that people are actually doing what they say on the tin. Once you've got that base information, you can start to change business decisions. So let me be very clear, this isn't about the accountancy profession doing something for the planet by collecting information. It's what you then do with that information that counts. You've got to change the business decisions as a result. And I think that's why this accountancy profession has a key role to play. Because not only do we have a a crucial role to play in that, but when we've actually got the data, when we've changed the business decisions, you are going to have to change the strategies of businesses. So it comes back to this transition plan idea, we are going to have to know how we get from where we are today to where we want to be, and that's a planning issue. And uh, it's a planning issue for the management, it's a planning issue for the boards, but it's also going to impact, I'm sure, on governments and regulators. So everyone's got a role to play. I see the, the next steps in our move in this transition decade to effectively be establishing the data and then businesses beginning to change what they do in manageable ways. Because here's where I disagree with some of the more extreme views. There is a, there is a point of view that says we should stop using fossil fuels today, immediately. Now, if you're going to stop using fossil fuels immediately today... I think society as we know it will probably fall apart. So we've got to figure out how we can do that over a period of time. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase about sort of doing things in bite-sized chunks, and, and I think it has to be in manageable portions because otherwise this whole issue just becomes overfacing. I mean, are we going to stop flying tomorrow? We know there are technology solutions that are coming, but you know, if we were to stop flying today... International commerce, trade, mobility would just end, not to mention what would happen if we weren't driving cars. And by the way, lots of trains are diesel. So when we talk about you know switching to trains, we've got a lot of diesel trains. And you look at supply chains, major cargo vessels plying the seas are some of the worst polluters of the lot. So we've got to think about doing things in an orderly, systematic manner. But let me just reiterate again, You can't wait for 10 years to do this. You've got to start now.
One of the conversations that uh, stuck out, or should I say speech, was the speech that uh, His Royal Highness uh, Prince Charles gave. I thought that was inspirational, and um, I mean, I would just like to acknowledge, if it needs acknowledging from me, that he was there 30 or 40 years before the rest of us. Now, he wasn't the only person, but he had the... um, he had the guts and the bravery to stand up and say things that were very unpopular, and he's now being vindicated in that. So I think we should all recognise that he has been a leader in this, and he's investing his time and energy into making sure that we all appreciate um, what we need to do. So I think his leadership in this area is very much appreciated. Another thing that stuck out in my mind, and it wasn't a conversation, was that one of the things they do very well at Davos is they have big briefing sessions. So if you can imagine a bank of TV screens or monitors about 50 foot across by 30 foot in depth, it's huge, and they show climate modelling on there that has been put together by Carnegie Mellon University in the United States. They, they project out things like sea level rises on the assumption of a one and a half degree centigrade rise out to 2100. Uh, but they also then change the temperature dial on that and take it up to four degrees. If you, if you stick at the one and a half degrees, which most of us think um, are, well, is, is the number that the world is aiming for at the moment. There are many low-lying levels, low-lying areas of the world that, that, that disappear. If you go above two degrees and you start heading towards the four degrees, that's potentially where you get to these very frightening scenarios of seven and a half metres sea level rise. So they put this into the context of the United States. So seven and a half metres sea level rise, Miami and most of Florida's gone. Enormous chunks of Manhattan have gone. In Europe, most of the Netherlands has gone. In the UK, we'll lose the Thames estuary, parts of London. And by the way, Cambridge will become a seaside town. So, I mean, that's, that's the reality. Now, these are projections, so nobody knows if that will come about uh, in reality. But do we want to take the chance of this? And the remedial steps that you'd have to take, for example, to protect Miami by having a big seawall and the defences are probably more expensive than just letting all the real estate go. I mean, that's the sort of salutary message I wish people could see because those are the things that once you've seen it, you think, We've got to do something about it. One of the things that I heard an awful lot about this time, which may have been said in previous years, but I don't remember it, is how much talk there was about needing to reskill the population in this digital decade. Politicians, leaders, all got up and talked about the fact that we are going to have an enormous task in front of us to make sure that literally hundreds of millions of people in the workforce today who are not going to be retired or who are going to want to continue in the workforce need to gain digital skills. And this is going to be such an enormous undertaking. 
the governments can't do it themselves. Businesses are going to have to identify budgets to do this. They're going to have to identify the skills that people need. And, and I thought that that was, first of all, an important recognition that people are a vital asset for companies. And it's, I think that's something that most progressive businesses know already. But it, it, isn't, it isn't a case anymore whereby we can just uh, employ people until their skill level is exhausted and then find somebody else you're actually going to have to retrain them. And very significant companies, some of the biggest on the planet, were talking about how much they're proposing to invest in the next few years. And I think that's good news. It's not just down to the businesses, though, and the governments alone. Individuals have to take responsibility for wanting to become reskilled because you can't reskill someone who's unwilling. So I think that's Uh, a pretty important thing. We're all keen to know how technology is going to change the world and there was session after session on AI and uh, ethics around AI. But one thing that um, was particularly, I think, uh, interesting was I went to a talk on deep fakes and it was um, conducted by a, a professor from California who, by the way, is funded by military budgets. And what he was able to do in terms of manipulating someone and putting words in that person's mouth uh, was so realistic, it was unbelievable. Now, at the moment, this has only been used for what I would describe as uh, illegal purposes. But you could see it potentially being used um, in the commercial world perhaps for good and for bad. But the reason why it gets funded by defence budgets is because it's an instrument of propaganda. And it's going to be one of the challenges I think we've got in the years to come to find out exactly what's real and what isn't. Another interesting session I went to was around how to tax the digital economy. Now, as some listeners may be aware, This has been a pretty active discussion now for several years within the accountancy community. But we heard from the OECD that they are well advanced in their plans, uh, which they're doing on behalf of 137 countries, to have a digital tax in place by the end of 2020. Now, they go to great lengths to explain that this is about taxing tech companies rather than the digital economy, because economies are increasingly digital these days. But this is about dealing with those companies that have a a base in one country but trade in another and don't pay any tax in that country. So they they believe that they are well advanced in, in that respect, but there is no doubt that if they aren't able to find a solution, there are up to 40 countries who are willing to effectively have their own unilateral digital tax. So France, which was very much at the vanguard of this, have already decided that they are going to wait until the end of the year to see what the OECD come up with, but if the OECD aren't successful, they will implement their tax. The UK plans to implement its own digital tax in April, and I suspect that the UK may arrive at the same conclusion as the French. But we should just remember that what these countries are proposing in the absence of an OECD solution is a tax on turnover 
rather than a tax on profits. And for everyone who's a chartered accountant listening to this, that will be something that's anathema to them. But, but that's the way the world is headed. And I think in the interest of fairness, we should all wish the OECD every success in this departure because you know, if tax isn't being collected by governments, they will become under enormous pressure and public finances will fail. The final thing I'd just like to uh, share is that we got a speech from the new president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. I believe that she's known as VDL to her friends. And I thought that she was a breath of fresh air. And sitting here in the UK, I can't help but wonder if we've been dealing with Ursula von der Leyen instead of Jean-Paul Juncker, we might have been uh, facing a very different outcome in the months ahead. I mean, she was just seeing things through a completely different lens. And I, uh, I wish her all the best of luck for reforming the European Union. If people want to find out more about Davos, obviously there's the World Economic Forum website. But here at ICAW, my online blog will have comments. We will also put out comments from time to time on Twitter, so you can follow me at Michael Itzer. And the ICAW website, icaw.com, will also have information about Davos. <laughs>